Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. As you listen to today's gospel reading, I invite you to let yourself enter into the scene. And what I mean by that is I hope you will uh, find yourself attuned to which character you most readily identify with, however partially. Now, don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, and I'm certainly not gonna put you in breakout rooms with all the other people who identified with that same character. But it's just that we are about to hear God's grace at work in individual lives. And as we prepare for approaching the table of grace, I hope that we will enter the story. Typically, we probably think of ourselves as more or less following in the wake of Jesus' disciples, but they are nowhere in these events. And so this text provides an unusual opportunity for us to see who else in the biblical story we might empathize with. Here are your choices. The main character is Jesus. There are two supporting characters, a Gentile woman and a Gentile man. And we also hear about the woman's daughter and the man's neighbors. Okay, this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, but he could not escape notice. Rather, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about Jesus, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Greek of Syrophoenician origin. She begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter, and Jesus said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And so the woman went home, found the child on the bed, and the demon gone. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon into the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. People there brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged Jesus to lay his hand on the man. Jesus took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered the townspeople to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Okay, I hope you found a kindred spirit in at least one person in that story. Hold on to whatever sense of association you have with the characters while we explore the story they exist within. And it actually feels like two stories, doesn't it? The story of the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter, and then the story of the man cured of deafness. It's a pair of back-to-back -back stories. And that got me thinking about the ordering of these stories within the larger story of Mark's gospel. It brought to mind a game that we used to play on camping trips. It was a storytelling game that used this special deck of cards, and each one of the cards carried this one phrase story event. Things like, um, around the corner, tigers waited. Or, uh, despite the storm, she found a path. Now, these uh, cards were not numbered in any way, so the point of the story was to arrange your cards in a way that created an effective story. And that is sort of what the Gospels do. Each Gospel writer had access to a collection of stories about Jesus, anecdotes that had been handed down by people who knew Jesus, saw Jesus, heard Jesus. Those story events, generally had no date attached to them. And so when you read the different Gospels, you find the events arranged in different ways. Now, of course, there's broad concurrence that at the beginning of the story, Jesus becomes a man and is baptized. And at the end of the story, Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is crucified. And some of the Gospels may place an event or two before or after those major items, but most of the story events have to fit in between them. And Mark is very deliberate in how he's ordering his story. Just before today's passage, Jesus has miraculously fed 5,000 men, and who knows how many others. Now, those people, like Jesus, were Jewish. And then Jesus heads off into the region of Tyre, where today's story starts. Mark makes a big deal out of this being Gentile territory. Listen again to how the woman is introduced. Now, the woman was a Greek, which is to say non-Jewish, of Syrophoenician origin, which is to say non-Jewish. This non-Jewish woman makes her request of Jesus, and Jesus turns her down cold. In fact, he uses a racial slur. I hate that part. But she persists, she prevails, and she exits the story. Jesus journeys deeper into Gentile territory and encounters another Gentile in need of help. And this time there's no hesitation, no insult. Jesus just heals, and the crowd goes wild. And immediately after today's text, Jesus will again feed thousands of people, but this time it's not limited to a Jewish crowd. You can hear the story progression of story events. Jesus feeds thousands of Jews, the beloved children of God to whom he has been sent. And next, Jesus tells a non-Jewish woman that he will not help her because, he says, all the goodness he brings, all the goodness he has and does and is, all the goodness that is God's grace all of that must be hoarded for the children, the children of Israel. 
But when the woman pushes back, Jesus changes his mind. I love that part. Now, maybe we're supposed to think that Jesus just wants to get rid of the woman. I mean, Jesus is acting very human here. But next, he heals another Gentile. And next, of his own gracious accord, Jesus up and feeds thousands of Gentiles. So as we move through these story events, we are witnessing the ever-broadening impact of God's grace. We hear that the woman's daughter is freed. We see that the man is healed and his community moved to zealous proclamation. But first, we hear and see the impact of God's grace on Jesus himself. Jesus, we see and hear, is entering the reality that he will save more than only the children of Israel. We hear and see Jesus open himself to the whole broken world, claiming the gracious truth that he is sent as the incarnation of God's grace, and God's grace has no limits. God's grace is for all. Because God's grace is for all, we can know that God's grace is for us. We can know that we are welcome at this table. We can know that this table extends beyond this room to include all of you who are worshiping online. But how do each of us live out that knowledge? It's a big question, one of the big questions, which is why I invited you to enter the story through one of the story's characters. Every one of them feels the impact of God's grace, and it changes them. Every one. First, Jesus, and then the woman and the woman's daughter, and the man and the man's associates. So I wonder who you identified with, whose encounter with God's grace might feel a bit familiar. And as promised, you don't have to share your answer. But since I'm standing up here, I will volunteer that I very uncomfortably actually identify with Jesus here. You see, lots of people come to pastors asking for help. People with real need of healing in just about any aspect of their life. And while I never refer to anyone as a dog, I do identify with the Jesus whom that Syrophoenician woman so courageously confronts, the Jesus who seems to think that God is limited. I sit in my office clutching limited money and limited time and limited compassion, but thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit sometimes breaks through to remind me of God's unlimited grace. Perhaps some of you can also relate to this Jesus who is stretched thin until transformed by God's grace. Or maybe you identify with the Syrophoenician woman, unwilling to spend another day watching people you love suffer, unwilling to exist any longer as someone whom powerful people get away with disrespecting and denying and insulting and ignoring. And so you're pushing back. You're refusing to accept the unacceptable. 
And you sense that by the grace of God, you can make a difference. I gotta say that as individuals and as the church, we must identify with this woman. Like her, we must take action that insists before God that things must change. Amen? Maybe you identify with the woman's daughter, awaking for perhaps the first time to just how much people love you, aware for perhaps the first time how good and how great is our God, awaking to gratefully greet a new day, sensing the presence of the gracious one who makes every day new. Maybe you identify with the Gentile man so damaged by this life that your friends have to help you find help. Unable to take in all the noise of the world, unable to articulate all the issues of the world, but your friends do not give up. So, strengthened by their strength, you entrust yourself to God. You risk believing even as you doubt. And by the grace of God, you feel yourself being healed. And maybe you identify with the local townspeople, overjoyed that something good has finally happened, not understanding all the details and not pretending that all problems are solved, but eager to share whatever good news you have and willing to hope that this is the start of better times. Surely the church must take this role too actively seeking unexpected solutions to long-standing problems, resisting the us-them tribalism that separated Jew Jews and Gentiles, and that is fracturing our civil society today, resisting that kind of division and instead proclaiming the grace of God. As these story events unfold, the impact of God's grace progresses through the characters. It starts with the only time we witness Jesus lose an argument. <laughs> and that is what has to happen when he asserts that the grace of God is in any way limited. God's grace flows through Jesus to this woman and her daughter and to this man and his friends and it flows to each of us too. So as we ponder the impact of God's grace on this story's characters. Let's notice its impact on us. How do we live so that our lives, like the lives of the characters in this story, how do you live your life to show the impact of God's grace on you? That, church, is our part of this story. So let us tell it to God's glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. 
I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.